What a win for the Qs. First time starting 5-0 since 1987. So happy that everyone could join us here on Twitter Spaces. If you have anything to say, please turn on your mic and I'll turn it over so the rest of our audience can hear what you have to say. I'm going to be heading down to the press conference in a little bit, so I'll keep you posted on what happens there. I'll make sure to turn on my mic so everyone can hear what Dino Babers and the rest of this Syracuse team and anyone that uh, the media chose uh, to talk for the post-game press conference has to say. But for now, please comment your thoughts on this game. Of course, it was over in the first half, 49 to nothing. Syracuse's lead. That is the most points that Syracuse has scored in a half since 1904. You can check my sources on that one. First, the media guide said it was ever, but then another source came back to say 1904. Either way, the Syracuse team was dominant from start to finish. Again, I'm going to be heading down to the post-game press conference in just a little bit. I'll have my mic on so everyone can hear what Dino Babers and some of the players have to say about the win and starting 5-0 for the first time since 1987. Before all of you can chime in and another one of our Fizz staffers will join us to talk about this game, please comment down below or comment in the section here on Twitter Spaces what you thought about this win, what you thought about it in terms of what it means moving forward, going into the bye week and going into NC State in a couple of weeks. And enjoy the post-game press conference when I get there. But again, comment any thoughts that you have, and I'll try to reply to as many. And then when I leave the post-game press conference, I'll try to answer any questions or comment on any of the comments that everyone has. So again, my name's Cameron Ezer, one of the Orange Fizz staffers, and I'll be joining you for the post-game press conference and for what seems to be 30 or 45 minutes after to talk about this Syracuse 59 to nothing win over Wagner. Going to mute my mic, and when I head down to the post-game press conference, I'll let everyone know, and you can enjoy what Dino Babers and some of the Syracuse players have to say. Uh, obviously, you're extremely excited about the uh, start. Uh, again, uh, a little disappointed in the uh, penalties, 8 for 75 yards. We really wanted to have a clean game. I thought we got close to it in a lot of areas, although there were some mistakes out there. Uh, was happy uh, that we had some fans. Can't wait to see us after this break when we come back and we have NC State and Dome. Really looking forward to having it wild and crazy again because we do need our 12th man and we're going to continue this run in the second Coach Sean Tucker, 232 yards in this game, 10.1 yards per carry. He's now seventh all time with 2,668. Just what you can say about what Sean has meant to this team and what he means to Syracuse history. You know, the thing is that Sean is so humble. I mean, I just I just love him to death. Every time he runs, I get excited for him. I really like that when he gets out and open, nobody catches him. That's really comforting and reassuring for me. But uh, I think more than that, he's just one of those guys that everybody roots for. I'm excited for everything he acquires, and hopefully he can acquire some more. Coach, last last season it was a bye week that was later than now. It's more earlier this season, midway through. Why is that so important with the tough season coming up after the bye week? You know, at first I didn't, I didn't at the beginning, 
I didn't really think it was in a great position for us, but based off the injuries and the things that have happened, I think it couldn't come at a, at a better time. And we need it. There's things we need to work on. There's things we need to rest. Injuries we need to rest because the back half is going to be extremely difficult. And it's obviously going to start with NC State and the Wolfpack, you know, after the break. Coach, could you just talk us through the decision to keep the offensive starters in coming into the second half? I mean, obviously Tucker went down there on that first snap and did not return. So could you just talk through your logic there? It's extremely logical. If you watch most of the games like this, you normally give the you make halftime adjustments at halftime and you normally give that starting offense one more series and then you get everybody out of the game. So they had one more series. And uh, when they got the regular series, we pulled everybody out of the game. So there was like no conversation about pulling them earlier. Not with me. Coach, I was wondering if you could just reflect on the five and on start. And I don't think many people saw this. You reflect on what it means to the program, and you know, just kind of like, You know, I'm excited for the young men to be five and oh. I don't. Uh, I have to. Got to recall whether I have been or not. I've been around a little bit, but uh, for the young men, it's exciting. They haven't played perfect football, but their record is still perfect. And now they get an opportunity to do some exciting stuff. It doesn't mean that we will, but it does mean we have a chance. And uh, I kind of like that movie, Dumb and Dumber. But uh, hopefully, it'll work out better than it did for that guy in that movie. Coach, just wondering if you had any kind of health update on Sean Tucker after the game, and you know, just wondering how he's doing. Well, you're gonna get a chance to see him. He's around the corner right there. Yeah, I believe he's okay. You know, God's will, and uh, we'll continue to move on. Hey, Coach, walk me through the the conversation that happened at at halftime to reduce the quarters from 15 minutes down to down to 10 minutes, and, and how that came about. You know, I've I've been on the other side of these things a little bit. And, uh, you know, there were some mismatches out there. And uh, there's no there was no need for me to play an extra 10 minutes and, uh, and risk more injuries to what we have to do going down the stretch. You know, we had a, a good player get hurt in that game. And, uh, you know, we didn't want any more good players to get hurt and, Again, we've five games, you know, five players hurt. There's, there's going to come a point where it's the, the dam is going to break. So uh, we don't wish that on anybody. So it was an automatic, yes, let's do it from me and uh, let's move on. Plus, you guys, it's homecoming. I figured you guys wanted to get 15, 25-minute head start on what's going on, right? So I thought I'd do that. Everybody could get their articles written and get straight to homecoming. I don't know if that's necessary. There was a, a mutual agreement between men. How about that? Hi, Coach. So um, just wanted to ask, how are you addressing targeting uh, penalties on Syracuse's team, and how are you going to hope to mitigate those in the future? You guys, wow. I mean, I'm, I didn't even – I don't want to get fined. I, I, when I saw the play, I didn't think it was targeting. I mean, I thought our guys – low and now his head when it, when I saw the replay saw the replay the crown of his helmet was down but I really thought the other guy kind of got the best of our guy I thought he kind of ran our guy over a little bit so um, 
you know, it's a penalty and, and it's for the safety of the game. And I'm all for that. And, you know, he's going to have to, we'll petition, but uh, if he doesn't win the petition, we'll have to sit out the first half of the NC State. Hey, Coach. Uh, finally got some home runs today in the running game. What was different about the blocking or just the run game as a whole in this contest? I, I just think the guys are they're, they're just – there's a lot of want to. You know, they're just getting tired of hearing people talk about it, maybe be, and, uh, and they just wanted me not to talk to them about it for the next week. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad they're tired of hearing my voice, and I was really happy with the results. Coach, what can you say about LaQuinn's future at the running back position? Hey, he's a he's a New Jersey guy, you know, Gatorade Player of the Year. Another one of those guys from New York and New Jersey that we recruit and that we think is, you know, good, regardless of how many stars they get. And it looks like he's going to be really good. We just have to wait and see. Gave you guys a little taste of it today, but um, I think he has a bright future. But I could be wrong. Coach, what did you see out of some of the younger guys today that came in the second half? Uh, LaQuint, Carlos, all the, you know, all the backups came in. You saw a bunch of guys wanting to show off. I'm like, you guys need to settle down and run, you know. You guys need to settle down. They, they did a good job. It's, it's hard to be, uh, you know, behind good players and good players that stay healthy and, uh, and then, you know, sit around and wait for your turn. And uh, those guys – you know, they practiced hard this week. They thought they'd get an opportunity. It was great to see them in there. Uh, we had a bunch of walk-ons in there. You know, we had Yo, an international player from Japan, grad student from Japan in there. He he hit the quarterback, but the quarterback didn't have the ball. Dang it. Uh, you know, it's it was it's fun for the guys to see those guys get in there. And, uh, you know, based off our schedule, I would imagine it was going to be the last time that they get an opportunity to do that. So it was fun to see them get in there. Uh, Coach, great win. Uh, last year and, and for a majority of his career, Garrett Schrader has been known more for his legs and not really for his arm. This season, he's been incredible. And today, uh, a lot uh, a lot of the same, 17 of 17 through the air. How have you seen him improve throwing the ball rather than uh, you know the balance between running and throwing? I just think that Garrett's Garrett came in and worked extremely hard. You know, he worked with, you know, his, uh, his trainer in the offseason. He worked with Coach Beck. He worked with Coach Anai. Uh, he worked with our receivers. And if you just watch all the stuff they did over the summertime, you felt like they were working cohesively enough that they might have a day like this. Uh, it's, it's crazy because I didn't realize that he had went 17 for 17 until about 10 minutes before I walked up here. And then the first thing I thought about is how cool is that for him? But then I also thought about for you to go 17 for 17, that also means that no receiver dropped a ball. And how cool is that for the wide receivers? And how that means he also didn't get hurried. He had time. How cool is that for the offensive line? So I think that so all that stuff, considering that it was a good offensive performance, and I'm excited for all the, all the people in that group. All right. Thank you.
Great game today. My first question is for Sean. Um, are you pleased with your performance today? And if so, why? Uh, I would say I'm pleased. Uh, that was been a couple of weeks, but uh, guys came out today, uh, played hard, and uh, we definitely came out with a win. Garrett, earlier this week, you teased a, a new look for the offense, some new things going on. How did you think all of that went today? And is there one play you can point to? That went particularly well with that new look? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, I was excited to see us run the ball better than we have been, you know, get him loose a little bit. And, um, but overall, just great, great execution all around the board. And, um, you know, great, great team win. For all the guys, congrats on the win. But just uh, first off, Garrett, can you start? Just how does it feel to be five and zero to bring this program back? That's the first time that they've done that since 1987. When you think about how long it's been, just for all you guys, how does that feel? Yeah, it's a great feeling, and especially where we're at in this, this part of the season. You know, we got a bye week coming up, be able to study the rest of the opponents coming up. And um, I mean, I'm just proud of our team where we're at, and uh, just can't get complacent, and uh, always looking forward. And you know, we, we got to. Exciting part of the schedule coming up, so we are we're definitely excited about that. Yeah. First, Sean, two hundred thirty-two yards, two thousand six hundred sixty-eight, your seventh all-time in Syracuse rushing history. Just what that means to you, and what you want to say to some of those guys that you passed today. Uh, it means a lot, you know. I say it represents the hard work that I put in uh, through the off-season and during the season, and uh. All those guys up front and my wide receivers uh, outside blocking for me. And uh, just being up there and passing those guys, uh, you know, being mentioned with the greats is a good feeling. Sean, it seemed like you were running the ball a lot more to the outside than you were in previous games. Was that part of the game plan tonight? Uh, I would say that, you know, I saw some things. So I took it upon myself, you know, uh, based on how they were playing defense. I saw the opening on the outside more. Deuce, what did you see on that pick six that helped you take advantage on that pass that was near the flat? Uh, you know, I just had a great disguise, you know. We know they're a big RPO team, so just reading the quarterback eyes and reading the route of the receiver, and it was just an easy pick six. And with the INC, can we see you on the Mob Podcast here this week? Uh, hopefully, hopefully. You know, they got some great guests, so hopefully. Hey, Sean, you had a 60-yard run today. What did you do differently, and what do you do week to week, I guess, to break those long runs, get those extra yards? Uh, Definitely, I would say just put in more work, uh, you know, just try to do extra, um, you know, working on my speed, working on what I'm best at, and uh, it showed on the field. Uh, for Sean or Garrett, your guys' thoughts on staying out there into the second half and just kind of, that decision and your reaction to it? Um, not going to lie. We were trying to go for some records. So <laughs> we weren't able to get that, though. Yeah. Uh, uh, coach came up and then uh, OC came up to us and, uh, you know, he wanted us to go for that record. But, uh, you know, a little injury happened, but wrong <laughs> I mean, speaking of that injury, how are you feeling, Sean? That's the third time you've gone down this season. 
any lingering issues or things you're looking to get better over this next bye week? Uh, just got a little banged up, but I'm all good. Uh, this one's for Garrett. Uh, you know, once again, hitting a lot of different receivers today. Uh, what do you see from a lot of these young guys that, you know, stepped up today and had some of their, you know, biggest productions of the season? Yeah, just always trying to, I mean, this offense is so versatile in what we do and put a lot of different guys in different spots. So, um, I mean, they're all doing exactly what they're supposed to, and that's why they're catching the ball. But, uh, you know, I'll say I'm really proud of them. Glad to get uh, Devon Cooper in the end zone today and Amari Hatcher. You know, that was that was fun to see Amari go up and make that play. And then, uh, you know, just get Devon the ball a little bit more so we could get in the end zone. So that was good to see. And, um, you know, coordinating all those guys, OG, doing all the routine stuff. So just got to keep doing that moving forward. This one's for both of you. Sean, uh, you know, obviously you guys have little bit of criticism from everybody but clean cleaner pocket for you today and bigger rushing uh holes for you today can you talk about what they did so well to allow you guys to succeed today uh the guys you know during practice this week uh seeing them uh working harder uh you know just trying to get those runs down and uh their assignments now and they open up def- uh, bigger holes for me today yeah i think the biggest thing is just taking a little bit different approach to our to our game planning and the, the way that we're doing things and um you know, unconventional what we have because we have lost some guys and, you know, we can't replace, you know, Rhino, um, the stuff that he could do. So just taking a different approach to what we're doing. And, uh, you know, I thought we executed well today and we were able to create a little bit bigger holes for him to run through. And then, you know, once he gets a second level, that's, that's where Sean does his thing. Uh, for Garrett and Sean and then Deuce as well, on the offensive side, Garrett and Sean, uh, going into a bye week and knowing that NC State in a really tough schedule is coming up after that, knowing one win away from bowl eligibility, that's probably not in the back of your minds. But from an offensive perspective, what are you guys hoping to accomplish with the bye week and beyond and for Deuce on the defensive side? What is your unit hoping to accomplish? I'll go ahead and start. I mean, I was proud with the way we practiced this week. You know, we practiced with a lot of intensity and, you know, we were going, going at each other pretty good. So, um, Biggest thing is have that that same mentality carry over this week, and then we just get, get a head up, um, leg up, and study NC State. And uh, you know we're on the, the flirting with bowl eligibility, but you know we we want to go one and zero every week. So we'll we'll start with the bye week, and then make that carry over into NC State. Yeah, um, you know coming into the bye week, just having that uh, that week to prepare uh, longer for them, and uh, you know get some things figured out, and uh, see what we want to do against them. Yeah, and for the defense, you know, we're just going to be ourselves. You know, we preach the mob and the mob mentality. So we're just going to go out there and be the playmakers that we are, just make the plays that we always do. Garrett, you go 17 for 17 today. You've had a lot of success passing and running the ball this season. Just what you can say about the comfortability with Coach and I as well as Coach back coming in. Yeah, it was it was nice to do what we did today. Just guys getting open, you know, making easy completions to – Throw the ball to them, um, but I mean, just doing routine stuff. That's what that's what we preach in this offense. And um, when when you do that, you have a lot of success. So it was good to see that, and then also have the run game uh, play out how it did today. So it's exciting moving forward, and we're we're, we're ready to go for NC State. I'm already you know, I'm ready. I can play tomorrow. So I'm excited. 
for Garrett and Sean, the run game kind of sputtered against Purdue and Virginia, picked up today, obviously. How does that help your offense when you have these tougher defenses you're going to play in the second half of the schedule? Uh, I mean, like I said earlier, just the way we're approaching our game plan and the stuff that we're going to try to do. You know, uh, NC State, they had a really solid defense, and, um, you know, they do a little, little different stuff. So um, it'll be interesting what uh, they come up with the game plan, but we'll, we'll definitely be ready for that. But just the mentality behind the sets that we're getting into and uh, the type of stuff we're trying to do and uh, just really build that identity as our offense. You know, we're obviously still going to run the ball, but just find different ways to do that to get – create different holes and lighter boxes and all that kind of stuff. So uh, just got to keep doing what we did today, moving forward, and we're excited. Yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, those guys up front and, uh, you know, having a good game plan against them uh, is definitely going to help a lot. And uh, the guys up front just uh, trying to get better and, uh, you know, work so we can uh, go one and next week or two weeks. Go Orange. <laughs> That was Dino Babers, Deuce Chestnut, Garrett Schrader, as well as Sean Tucker in the post-game press conference. Uh, a lot of them giving really good answers on the win. Uh, uh, a few questionable ones, which I'd like to talk about, which is why I'm hopping on here. Uh, I know we only have one listener as we speak right now. Uh, Derek, if you want to, uh, if you want to chime in on uh, on your thoughts. On the win, uh, 59-0 over Wagner. Please feel free. I can turn your mic on if anyone else wants to hop in here on the Twitter space. Uh, we'll have Francesco Simone, uh, another Fizz staffer, hopping on to talk about this 59-0 win and to break things down, whatever uh, whatever his biggest takeaways are. But I kind of wanted to start with my biggest takeaways. And before I do that, just trying to find a way out of the JMA Dome right now, and then I'm uh, going to give my first thoughts uh, on this on this big win for Syracuse. And uh, okay, I understand. I say big, even though the Orange absolutely thrashed Wagner. But it's worth noting that this is the first five and zero start for Syracuse since 1987. So a win is a win, and this is why you schedule a game like this, just as Syracuse did against U Albany. Uh, last year when they absolutely dominated the Great Danes. And again, I'd like to hear what everyone else has to say uh, about this 59 to nothing win. Uh, so if you want to hop on, make sure that you turn your mic on and I can turn you to the masses and you can talk about your thoughts on this win. But yeah, 59 nothing. Over the Wagner Seahawks, 5-0 for the first time since 1987. Biggest takeaways from this game is the amount of records that were broken, and I'll just kind of list them out. Garrett Schrader, 17 of 17, completion percentage of, yeah, you guessed it, 100%. He's the first quarterback in Syracuse program history to have at least 10 pass completions and go 100% in the completion percentage department. So that's huge for Garrett Schrader, a player that's more known for his ability to run rather than pass. And I asked him that after the game, and I also asked Dino Babers that as well. And the, the sentiment that they're bringing across is this new offensive scheme, but also realizing that Garrett Schrader 
his ability to be a dual threat quarterback is as important as his ability to run the ball uh, at an efficient clip. And I think that's something that changed from a season ago when Garrett Schrader took over Tommy DeVito's spot. Uh, I think the onus was on, okay, now there's a dual threat quarterback, but you can focus more on the run. So maybe it wasn't really that balanced, but now that Garrett Schrader could take maybe the Tommy DeVito role of throwing the ball and at a better clip, as well as run the ball. I think that's really important for Syracuse moving forward. Sean Tucker, an unbelievable day. Uh, good thing that he's doing fine. He told us in, in the post-game press conference. And 32 total yards. So when you talk about a guy that entered the season as a Heisman hopeful, I mean, he met expectations and then exceeded them against Wagner. It's an FCS team last year against UAlbany. Had over 300 all-purpose yards and over five, or actually exactly five total touchdowns. So you'd expect that out of him. But for a player that entered this game with his longest rush being only 13 yards to eclipse that on five yards off and scamper to make it 14-0 back there in the first quarter, I think it's really important to note that Sean Tucker finally has his sea legs under him as he didn't have through the first four games. He realizes, I create the gaps, I found, find space on the outside. Hey, all, all of a sudden, I'm one of the best running backs, not just in the country, in the ACC, but I could be one of the best running backs that Syracuse has ever seen, which is a lot to say. But to throw more history out there, Sean Tucker He's now seventh all time in terms of rush yards in Syracuse program history. Started the day at 12th, but he picked up 232 rush yards, 227 in the first half. He was incredible. Just his ability to turn his legs and, and get the movement going early and his ability to cross that offensive line with enough pace and, and enough movement where he's able to stiff arm a, a defensive back or a linebacker, maybe even a player that's bigger than him. Just the, the cardio that he shows on each one of his runs, it, it's a huge uh, a compliment to him being on the track field team last semester and, and realizing that can utilize all of his skill sets um, in order to be successful. last year, uh, which is crazy to think about. On the defensive side, they didn't allow a point uh, in 38 plays, only 50 yards that they allowed to the Wagner Seahawks, and Syracuse alone had 434 in the first half. They finished with above 500. Another thing of note, LaQuint Allen, how about the backup running back? He's the first running back since 1949 to have a single rush of over 90 yards. He had a 90, he was 90 or 91 yard rushing play late there in the fourth quarter. Running back position as they did with Sean Tucker. So you know you have a really solid RB2, which is a big positive going really tough stretch of games. Also noting that Sean Tucker has, has gone down three times and you worry about his health and his usage and, and everything that, that happens there. So a lot of records broken. Syracuse, a 59 nothing win over Wagner to move to 5-0 and for the first time since 1980.
segment. So looking through the right now on the campus of Syracuse University, there's parties going on celebrating Alumni Weekend and all the alums and it's homecoming, which is a good time. So for Syracuse to achieve this win and achieve it so early, going up by 21 after the first quarter, by 49 after the first half. And that's something of note as well. Syracuse, 49 points and a half for the first time since 1904. I think you're sick and tired of me seeing for the first time, but this is what this game allows me to and nothing over the Wagner Seahawks. Later in the night, Francesco Simone, another one of his staffers is going to join me on this Twitter space. Derek, I know you're the only listener. You're sticking in there. If you have anything to say, as another listener just popped in, you have anything to say, just turn your mic on. Love to hear from you. Um, so it's, you know, not just me talking. And, and if, if you enjoy just me talking, hey, feel free. I could talk for days and days. But yeah, Syracuse, big win, 59 nothing. Also think, you look at the intricacies of this game, and time and time again, they'll talk about, okay, Syracuse's consistency has never been there, or at least hasn't been since 2018, a year that I believe was a fluke. I mean, you go from the first couple of years under Dino Babers thinking, okay, hey, uh, this guy is coming from an FCS program to – BS program that didn't have that much success over to a D1 program in the ACC, one of the best conferences in all of football. What success can he bring? He's already brought a lot of it. So, uh, I mean, a lot of it in terms of revitalizing Syracuse to a program that at least some people are respecting. I mean, back in 2018, that was the year. intricacies of this game like I said since 2018 and even over the past couple of years I think it's worth noting that SU would rely heavily on one aspect of the game and how confident could you be that that Syracuse could take advantage of all sectors of the game, whether it be passing, running, offense, defense, special teams. There was always one of those spots that were thwarted by some sort of inability. But now you're to the point where I can confidently say, I mean, Syracuse is successful. Special teams, defense. I mean, feel free. I'd love to invite you to speak. Uh, Ian, if, if you have the floor, go right ahead. I thought this was really just an interesting win for Syracuse and how that rushing offense was really able to come alive. I love how you mentioned Sean Tucker, 13 yards, his longest rush on the year, heading into the night, and then all of a sudden he rips off five runs of at least, you know, Sorry, you know, I'm just so stunned by this unbelievable performance <laughs> I guess I'm having. You're all good. For difficulties. But, you know, long story short, the rushing attack needed to come alive if this team really wanted a chance, I think, to compete with the back half of its schedule. I mean, we trust Garrett Schrader now as a legitimate passer, right? But the question is, can this offense get it done in every single phase? And although Wagner 
is nowhere close to an NC State or a Clemson. Now I think Syracuse has a bit of a better picture of what they want to do with the run game inside and outside, and hopefully that will equip them better when they're off their bye week. And I love the point that you make there, Ian. Uh, and thanks again for chiming in. And again, if anything, ha- if uh, if anyone has anything else to say, please, just as Ian did, hop on. Let me know. Uh, I'd love for you to unmute yourself so I know that you have something to say. You can comment down below uh, if if nothing is being said, and I can turn your mic on, and then you can uh, chime your thoughts to the masses. But I'm glad Ian brought that up because, yeah, I mean, like I he hasn't been there in all three phases of the game especially on the rushing side of things this year which is odd because over the past couple of years rushing game is the only SU is having an abundance of success running the ball says a lot or in this game not not the games prior says a lot about Syracuse's ability to adjust so really impressed with how the Orange uh, uh, were able to run the ball today because uh, they're finally able uh, to adjust to what they weren't able to do over the past couple of games. I think a lot of us are, are, are trying to find portions of this game to be ecstatic about because everyone realizes, I mean, <laughs> you just beat an FCS opponent, right? The, the second half, those were 10 quarters. They were minimized because of a coaching agreement, knowing that they didn't want I am. I hope everyone else is too. Trying to find a way to pick out portions of this game to really analyze. And again, if you miss Ian's, uh, what Ian was saying about, about just running the ball in Syracuse, finally finding their way running the ball and why that's so important. If you have something else to say about that, please chime in. Uh, I'd love love to hear what hey Derek, if you want to chime in about it, feel free. Uh, but yeah, I mean, over the first four games, Syracuse's inability to run the ball, and you could say inability even though against Louisville and UConn, Sean Tucker, he achieved that 100-yard mark. But it just didn't seem like he had uh, that same that same downhill attack as he did a season ago. Even Garrett Schrader, I mean, he would do it in down and distance situations, short yardage situations, but breaking out to that long run, it wasn't the MO of this team anymore. So to, to know that Sean Tucker rushed for 232 yards, to know that Syracuse dominated from a rushing perspective, and I'll get to the passing side of things, but dominated so much from a rushing perspective, says a lot about how this team is able to adapt to what the defense gives them. And I think that's the more important point throughout the entirety of uh, analyzing this game. Yes, Syracuse ran the ball. Have they been able to do that this season? No. Have they been able to do that over the last couple of years? Yes. So it's great to see them get back to what made them successful for a majority of the season a year ago. But as much as I want to touch on the running game and and how they were how it was so successful even early on, early to late, I just think it's more important to say Syracuse adapted to what the defense gave them. You run the ball, you know that this defense of Wagner's not good at closing gaps, and you allow Sean Tucker and Garrett Schrader to absolutely blitz past 
the offensive line. So, yeah, really, really impressed with what I saw, uh, what I saw out of Sean Tucker and Garrett Schrader, knowing that that rushing ability uh, was there for them to take. It was for the taking. And Sean Tucker said, hey, I'll take those gaping holes. I'll run right through them. So just as Ian said, uh, yeah, the onus was on the running game, knowing that Wagner's defense is not really good running the ball. And I'm glad that he took it and, and took it with a tight grasp enough to say, hey, hey, I'm Sean Tucker. I'm still here. Want to transition over to the throwing game? Uh, if anyone has anything to say about that, again, uh, please chime in. Uh, please turn on your mic or uh, allow me to, to, to do so by alerting me that you want to speak. Uh, yeah, I mean, the passing game was incredible as well. Uh, there was a portion of that game I look up at the, uh, at the big screen uh, there in the top left of the JMA Wireless Dome. And, uh, and you know what I see? And this is the, the, the most incredible part. What I see is 191 to 19 in the passing game. What I see is Garrett Schrader, 14 of 14 at the half with 200 yards. Ian, I, I see that uh, you want to... You want to hop on? Is there something that you wanted to say about the passing game? Ian? Sorry, uh, I don't know why. I'm just so excited tonight that I've forgotten how to use all forms of you, you, You love muting yourself. I mean, I get it. Wagner muted themselves all night. You know, they're just my favorite team, but my second favorite team <laughs> is Syracuse, so... To talk a little bit about the Orange in that passing game, you could see it from the first snap how much Wagner respected Syracuse down the field and how far off those defensive backs were playing Syracuse's wide receivers. And part of that, I know, is the talent gap, and Syracuse's wide receivers have the ability to get down the field. They're much quicker, faster, stronger than any defensive back that Wagner had but also, I think it's a testament to what Robert and I has been able to do with this passing game. Last year, we thought Garrett Trader was a big glorified running back and that he had zero potential, really zero potential, to do anything down the field. So the fact that Cam, he was able to tonight, and Robert and I, build an offense that really made defenses respect what they can do down the field with Rondé Gadsden, Courtney Jackson, and Damian Alford. Again, a massive testament to Robert and I's play calling and how he's transformed this offense, not just into a well-rounded offense, but an offense that teams fear down the field and that NC State, Clemson, Notre Dame, whoever is up on the schedule is really going to have to respect what these guys can do, not just with the quick screen game and the RPO game, but also working the intermediate, intermediate and deep parts of the field. Yeah, Ian, thanks so much. I completely agree. And I feel like I was jumping through hoops and hurdles trying to analyze the rushing game because as much as I want to laud Sean Tucker, 232 rushing yards on 23 rush attempts, that's 10.1 yards per carry, easily his best game of the season. Let's not overshadow Wagner doesn't have a good defense. Wagner doesn't have a good run defense. You hand the ball off to Tucker, good things are going to happen if he finds a hole. Now you can say, okay, who raw to the offensive line that did a great job creating those holes? 
but why I wanted to transition to the passing game and Ian, why I, I'm, I'm so glad that you brought up Robert and I and Jason Beck and how they've transformed this offense is, I mean, the passing game isn't as, uh, uh, isn't as surefire as the rush game. You're going to hand it off to Tucker. You're going to let his legs do the rest of the work. If Garrett Schrader doesn't throw an accurate pass, if his receivers don't run accurate routes, it doesn't matter if you're playing Wagner or if you're in practice. So for a player in Garrett Schrader who now is dealing with an offensive scheme for Robert and I and Jason Beck, two, two of some of the best offensive minds in the college games in terms of statistical perks. I mean, Brennan Armstrong and those UVA quarterbacks uh, from years past, even before Armstrong, they broke records after records after records in the passing game because there was so much weight on their shoulders. So for Garrett Schrader, especially in this game, to take that weight, apply it on his shoulders and realize, hey, I'm going to trust my wide receivers. My first instinct isn't going to be to tuck and run as it was a season ago, as it was earlier in the year against really stout defenses. I mean, uh, big ups to Garrett Schrader. 17 of 17, over 230 yards through the air. He had two passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. I also think it's worth mentioning Garrett Schrader only ran the ball a couple times. I mean, his first instinct was to throw the rock. So uh, really, really impressed how Garrett Schrader, uh, how Garrett Schrader was able to not just throw the ball, but how he was able to find open space and pick out his spots and find his receivers, whether it be in the flat or even deep downfield. So Garrett Schrader, uh, I mean, accurate passes after accurate passes, 17 of 17. How about that? I mean, a perfect completion percentage. Really impressed with how Schrader played. He found eight different receivers. The, the, the resurgence of Anthony Queeley. I didn't even know he was still on this team. How about that? Uh, Courtney Jackson, first three passes that went to him were completed. Jackson ran beautiful, beautiful routes in the flat. Devon Cooper, how about that? His first collegiate orange touchdown. I mean, he had a touchdown, I think it was back in 2017 or 2018, uh, with UTEP. So, I mean, to get Devon Cooper in the end zone was great. He was running great slant routes, the go routes that were implemented by Robert and I and Jason Beck. It just seemed that everything was on point, and Syracuse finally had a quarterback that was able to take full advantage of that. If any of you want to uh, want to hop on this Twitter space and discuss what you thought about the running game or even the passing game or anything else. It literally could be anything. If you want to praise Deuce Chestnut or bog him down for not having a great celebration, feel free. You can unmute yourself. You can alert me that you want to speak on this Twitter space, and I will unmute your microphone, put you on so you can speak to the masses. Anything you have to say, please hop on our Twitter space. Beautiful, beautiful performances from Garrett Schrader and Sean Tucker. Really impressed by both of them. And you might say, and like I said with Sean Tucker, I'm doing my best to not praise him, to not praise him so much where you start to forget that it was Sean Tucker against Wagner. And the same thing with Garrett Schrader. But you're going to play whoever you're up against. So if it's, if it's Wagner, if it's NC State, if it's Notre Dame, I was just impressed by the poise of Garrett Schrader and Sean Tucker at the respective positions to realize, hey, we still got to play this game. We still have to perform at the highest level. And for Garrett Schrader to have a 100% completion percentage, for Sean Tucker to, to finish 
fourth all time in single game rushing yards with 232 in this ball game. I mean, there's a lot you could say about both of those players. Wanted to touch on one thing that I think some people listening uh, will have something to say about because I, I'd love to have a conversation with anyone that's listening right now post game. And I think a lot of us were curious to why Dino Babers kept Sean Tucker, Gary Trader, the rest of the offense and the starters in there for the first sequence of the second half. He asked Dino Babers the question, why'd you do that? And he said, well, if you check out any of the other games where a team is dominating going into the break, you make halftime adjustments and you want to see if your starters can adjust to whatever changes that you made going into the second half. They asked the players that, and of course, honesty, uh, honesty might prove a little fatal in this sense because Garrett Schrader and Sean Tucker said, and we were talking to Dino Babers and Robert and I, and the sentiment was trying to break records here, which was a very interesting answer. And I think can cause a lot of concern. And I, I don't think Dino Babers and Robert and I wanted that to be made public. Uh, I, I don't know if what anyone on this Twitter space thinks of that, but I'd love for someone else to chime in because I'm more concerned that Syracuse was more worried. And of course, I'm all for records, right? Get that single game rush record. John Tucker was only 25 yards away. But I'm more concerned that Syracuse at 5-0 and for a team that might be one of the best we've seen in decades, that they were willing to risk the health and safety of their players for records. For records. I mean, this team just achieved a record, 5-0 for the first time since 1987. That's a team record. But for individual records, I'm concerned that Dino Babers would agree on 10-minute quarters for the second half. But with that, he would allow his starters to play the first sequence of that second half. I mean, Sean Tucker last week as well. If he's out for the season there, I mean, that might spell an end to the season. I think everyone's aware. Boston College just beat up on Louisville. Not beat up. They beat Louisville 34-33. to 33. For Boston College standards, that's beating up. They just beat a pretty good Louisville team. That's the one game out of the final seven where I can say, you know, I'd pick Syracuse as the favorite. And I understand Notre Dame is no world beater. They were to start the season, but then kind of went on a little bit of pitfall. I mean, NC State's beatable. We'll see what happens in their game against Clemson that's currently going on. And Clemson has the top 10 team in the country. Let's go at Pittsburgh. That's no easy task. Home against Florida State, who just lost their game to Wake Forest. But, hey, that's always a team that can get it done on both ends of the ball. And then in between, then you got Wake Forest team that's ranked top 25 in the nation, will probably be top 15 when Syracuse meets them uh, down there in Wake. So you're adding the, the worry to Syracuse fans in order to possibly break individual records against an FCS team? That concerns me. It does. Does it concern anyone else? I mean, Kenny, we have you in the chat. Derek, you've been in here for a little bit. Uh, Ryan Nelson. How's it going, Nelly? If you want to hop in and chime in on what you thought about that, because I'm quite concerned. I'll be honest. I'm the first one for breaking individual records. I really am. But, I mean, that 
to me, that's concerning. Uh, the Cusaholic and Ryan Nelson, I'm going to start with the Cusaholic. Uh, I don't know what you want to talk about. If it is the, the, from the record point of view, or if it is the offense, we haven't touched on the defense. Uh, go right ahead. The floor is yours. Is the Cusaholic there? Hey, fellas, how are you today? Can, how's it going? Good to hear what from you. What a win. Felt good, didn't it? It, it felt great. Um, I, I'm just curious because we're, I'm coming off uh, being a little worried that Syracuse was a little more focused on individual records than ultimately pulling that win and, and being unscathed. Is that what you wanted to talk about or more on the win? I want to I deliver you a hot take exactly on that, and then I, wanna, I got a question for all of you. My, my, hot, right my hot take is we're all a bunch of old guys. Dino's talking to 18, 19 year old kids out there. They want to go out and play. They want to put their names in the record books. They got recruits on those sidelines. Those recruits want to come and they want to play and they want to make history. I don't think you should be too worried about the, the, the breaking records thing. I just totally disagree with Dino. He never should put those kids in, in the second half. But you got to think about where he's coming from when, in, who he's talking to with his players. Number two, I want to ask you a question What is Garrett's ceiling? Does he have a 300, 400-yard game ceiling down the road in another six games, another season? Or is this sort of where he is? He fits into the offense. He, he's accurate. He's efficient. He manages the game. He's a, he's a Mac Jones Jr. That's a question for all of you. Thank you for listening. Of course. Thanks so much. I think that's a great question. Now, uh, like I, I prefaced my point about the records, I agree partly that no one should be concerned because, like I said, I am the first person to say, go break that record. I, I mean, I lulled up the first time since, what is it, 1989 or, or 1940 or, or whatever it may be. I love that. I, I love that uh, Syracuse and these players currently have the opportunity to etch their names into the history book. So I, I partly agree with that. Uh, I want to hear what Ryan Nelson has to say, uh, Nelly. If it's more about those those record points, or if you wanted to answer the Cusaholics question about is this Garrett Schrader's ceiling? Is he is he just kind of a respectable quarterback that'll uh, maybe give you something, maybe not? Uh, uh, Nelly, I, I don't know what your your thoughts on it are, but what are you thinking? Yeah, Kim. Uh, I'll hop in really quick. Just I want to answer the Cusa Hogs question because, frankly, I think Garrett Schrader's ceiling, it may not be 300 yards passing, but I think it's about 350, 400 total yards in a game. Because when I look at Garrett Schrader, yes, I think 250 yards passing is about what he's going to max out, maybe a 300-yard passing game here and there. But I think if you look at the rushing yards combined with the passing yards, that's where you really get Garrett Schrader's true value to this team. You know, yes, he gets it done through the air this year a lot better than he has in years past. But you also look at him on the ground, five touchdowns, almost 220 yards through five games. This is a guy who's averaging a touchdown per game on the ground and then two touchdowns per game in the air, three touchdowns a game and about 300, four, maybe 350 yards. That sounds like a pretty dang good quarterback for a power five football team that really wasn't meant to be a passing first football team in the first place. I like that point that you make there. I really do because um, – uh... Uh, that's something of note, right? Are we judging Garrett Schrader on his ability to throw the ball and be efficient doing that? Because that's what a quote-unquote stereotypical quarterback should do. 
or are we judging Garrett Schrader on his full body of work? So to answer the Cusaholics question, I'm glad, Nelly, I'm glad you brought up that point, is I don't think that this is Garrett Schrader's ceiling because I haven't seen him enough against big-time competition and big-time moments, right? For the final three games of the season last year, I think you can look at that and say, okay, maybe that's the version of Garrett Schrader that we should all expect in these big-time moments. No offense to Schrader and the rest of these D1 quarterbacks. Uh, No one is judging them off their performances against UConn and Wagner. I mean, Garrett Schrader has won two ACC Quarterback of the Week uh, awards. The second one was against UConn, and he'll probably win one for his performance against Wagner because he went 17 of 17, right? Like, that's it. That's that's where a lot of people will judge Garrett Schrader on because you see, okay, he can have success. Who is he having success against? So I agree with you, Ryan. I I think you have to judge him on his full body of work, but I understand why the Cusaholic, why you you, – uh, you put that question forward and said, is this his ceiling? Because are, are we getting, is Syracuse getting a quarterback that can possibly throw for over 400 yards? Uh, is Syracuse, did Syracuse somehow recruit uh, the next possible uh, top five Heisman voting quarterback because he can do it all? Uh, I don't think so. But I'm curious to see how does he do against NC State? Right? How does he do against Notre Dame, Clemson? He's playing all those teams back to back to back. Because what I saw out of Garrett Schrader against Virginia and Purdue was he could play a good half of football. That, if that's going to stain a quarterback's resume, it's going to stain it in the worst way. That's a, that's a food stain that you can't get out of your clothes even if you throw it in the, in the washing machine or even the dryer. Uh, so... I don't think this is Garrett Schrader's ceiling because he played an FCS opponent. I mean, a lot of the routes that his receivers ran, although he stayed poised in the pocket, you make that simple throw. That's why he's a D1 quarterback. Um, Ryan, you're still in the request tab. Do you have something more to say? Ryan, you there? Yeah, I'm here, Cam. You know, when I look, I think you made a really great point about the teams that Garrett's played against. Louisville, you know, when you're beating up on UConn and Wagner, no one really cares if you throw for 300 yards and five touchdowns because it's UConn and Wagner. I look at their Louisville, Purdue, and Virginia stat lines for Garrett Schrader. And besides that Purdue game where he did throw for three touchdowns, I like what I see out of Garrett Schrader. You know, 66, 72% passing against, you know, Virginia and Louisville. I think those are solid stat lines for him to be at. But what I'm really worried about is I think there's going to be a lot of overreaction when Garrett doesn't have the best game against NC State. NC State is a top 10 defense in the country. And I think that when you, you know, grade Garrett Schrader based on one game, I think that he's going to struggle against NC State just because everyone struggles against NC State. But I look at their games against Clemson, Notre Dame, and even beyond to the future schedule with Pitt and Florida State, I think that's where Garrett Trader is really going to show his true colors. Because there's one thing that Garrett Trader has this year that no one that he has not had in previous seasons, and that's confidence. It's not only confidence in himself, but it's confidence from a coaching staff in Anai, in Beck, in Babers, who trust him to run this offense. Because if you look back at years past, last year, they didn't trust Garrett Trader to be the starter off the top. They put in Tommy DeVito to start the season. And we see where that's brought Tommy DeVito, Illinois now. But 
when the team finally puts their trust into a quarterback like Garrett Schrader, I think the confidence that the team has in him and that he has in himself is going to take him a far, far way beyond an NC State game that he might struggle in. And I think he's going to bounce back from any down performances he has because he's shown in the past he can do it. And I think that he's shown versatility to run this offense however it needs to be run. When they need to pass the ball more, he can do that. He can find the receivers down the field if he needs to, but he can also find Sean Tucker in a swing route. He can also hand the ball off to Tucker. He can run a read option with the running backs on this team. I think that the confidence that the team has shown in Garrett Schrader is going to take him a far, far away more than anything we've seen in years past. I love the point that you make there, Ryan, because as much as we can dive into the intricate stats that Garrett Schrader puts up, the eye test means a whole lot more, especially for a player that's known more for everything that he can do, right? How he can create space and allow for his receivers to get open, how he's able to not just tuck the ball, but keep his eyes downfield. So I completely agree with you. I like the point that you make there. I also think it's worth noting that whatever happens in the next couple of games, Garrett Schrader is going to underplay, meaning the expectations for him are now 17 of 17. That, that's the one thing with football, especially the college game. You play a really, really good ball game. All of a sudden, that's where your ceiling is set. And everyone with a 5-0 and uh, team and you being the starting quarterback, everyone expects Garrett Schrader to go off against NC State, to go off moving forward. Can he do that? I, I think only time will tell. What I really liked from Garrett Schrader um, – from his post-game press conference is all he was saying is, hey, I can play tomorrow. Like, I'm ready, right? So this game is no, is no uh, you know, bird on my shoulder that's, you know, uh, croaking in my ear telling me, hey, you have to make it, you have to complete every pass. You have to do everything. There, there's no devil and angel and the, the devil is, well, you have to now go 20 for 20. No, I think Garrett Schrader staying positive and realizing Hey, what's within my realm of expectations? So I, I don't know. And I know this is a long-winded answer to the Cusaholics question of, is this Garrett Schrader ceiling? Is this ceiling the, uh, I like how you mentioned the Mac Jones Jr., where is he going to put up a consistent stat line? And will he never uh, get above that until he maybe goes to the pros? Uh, I, I don't think that this is Garrett Schrader's ceiling because I don't think anyone can label where his ceiling is. I mean, he can do everything. He can pass. He can run. I, I don't think that, that we can really pigeonhole him into an, into an individual box in order to say, okay, this is where Garrett Schrader is and has to be. He can really do it all. I think it's that his ceiling needs to be on a consistent basis. Uh, now, I want to shift it over to the defense because I get it. It's Wagner. I mean, this offense has been abysmal this season and for the past couple of years. But what I saw from the defense is they, they stayed within themselves. I mean, a lot of the times this defense will preach the mob mentality. And I'll be honest, heading into the season, I don't have a clue what the mob mentality is at all. I mean, I've listened to the mob podcast. And all I've gained from it is that Caleb Okuchuku is a great host. I mean, get him on more podcasts. But the mob mentality, what is that? To me, that means, okay, you play Louisville, right? You play UConn, Purdue, Virginia, Wagner. The defense is staying at a stable level in terms of they're not getting too high, not getting too low. I mean, Deuce Chestnut, that pick six 
Uh, I thought when Deuce Chestnut had his first pick six of his career, it would be the most entertaining uh, celebration imaginable, almost like what Caleb Okachuku did a couple weeks ago. But it's like, nope, this is who we are. We want to be known as a top 20, top 15 defense in all of college football, and we're not taking that are less, any awards less. We want to be known as one of the best defenses that Syracuse has ever seen. It, it, I'm not saying this defense has completely data flatlined, but they're not allowing their emotions to get the best of them, getting the crowd involved. You take down a quarterback that was probably a two-star coming out of uh, out of high school, and Michael Jones is just as excited when he took down Aiden O'Connell or when he took down a Brennan Armstrong or when he's in the backfield with the quarterback pressure. I love how this defense approached this game. I mean, my score prediction, if you head to theorangefizz.com and check out our crystal ball predictions, and I don't want to brag too much and say I'm undefeated in our predictions, but it's pretty easy to be when Syracuse has been playing like this. But I predicted 59-7. I got it completely wrong. You might say, well, it's 59-0. Cam, you did a really good job. But I predicted that this defense would waver at one point. Even the backups didn't. So even with all the injuries, and I think the only concern is Rob Hanna being out for the first half of that NC State game, but as Barron can hold down the fort at that rover position, I'm not too concerned. The fact that they poised with all those personalities, I mean, time and time again, you look at Syracuse and you say, wow, you got a cast of characters. <laughs> you got a cast of characters. You got a podcast going on. Michael Jones could probably go elsewhere and make $100,000, but he's willing to stay. The camaraderie of this defense and the togetherness is so apparent. And I love it. I really do. So defense played great. Offense played really, really well. Uh, and we've talked a lot about you should be concerned that Syracuse came out in the second half and almost got Sean Tucker hurt because they were trying to break individual records. We've talked about the play of Garrett Schrader, the play of Sean Tucker, the defense. I mean, even Andre Schmidt got in on the action with that 20-yard field goal. I'm not really going to talk much about that because that's all that happened with Andre Schmidt. And after you, you tie a school record set 39 years ago last week, I don't think there's much to say about Andre Schmidt. But see of this team. I really do. Uh, uh, there's not a lot of highs or lows, even when the point of the game is high or low. Even when uh, Purdue comes back from 10 down. Even when Virginia outscores the Qs 20 to 3 in the second half. Uh, this team doesn't get down on themselves. They realize what's the task at hand. You got to go score. You need a touchdown. You need a field goal. I mean, uh, the. The pace that Syracuse is moving down the field when they need to score, I mean, hey, it's easy to get complacent when you're 4-0, and Syracuse scored seven touchdowns on their first six drives. You might say, how's that possible? Well, because of the pick six by Deuce Chestnut. I hope all of you guys enjoyed that tweet that I sent out, tagging the Buffalo Bills, uh, uh, talking about, or at least relaying back to when the Buffalo Bills had seven drives, all seven scoring uh, touchdowns against the Patriots in that first round of the playoffs uh, last year. Uh, the Bills didn't reply yet. We're, we're still hoping for a response. But seven touchdowns and six drives, I mean, the, there's no complacency, which I love. Uh, Ryan, uh, something to say about that? You there, Ryan? I'm here, Cam. Uh, you know, I, I think the one thing, just t- talking about this defense, the one thing about this defense that really stood out to me was the depth we saw. Because like you said, 
you know, it wasn't the starters that faltered, but the backups didn't falter either. And I think it's a big thing because the big storyline with this team right now is the injuries they sustained over the first five games of the season. They're a beat-up team right now. Losing Terry Lockett is really tough. Losing Chris Elmore and losing these other players in this team, it's tough to recover from that for a lot of these teams, especially teams like Syracuse, who don't draw these five- and four-star recruits day in and day out. But I think for Syracuse, it's awesome to see the people on this team step step up. Leon Lowry stepped up, Braylon Oliver, even Jeremiah Wilson getting a pass breakup in this game. I think that's the big key for Syracuse moving forward because this team is not deep with three- and two-star players. Sometimes you move on to preferred walk-ons in games like these. But I think that Syracuse showed that this is not just an 11-man defense. This is a defense that goes possibly even 30 members deep into their depth chart. Yeah, you're completely right, uh, Ryan. I mean, as much as, again, I I keep wanting to stress it's Wagner. But yeah, I I mean, the fact that Kayvon Darton can be a bowling ball inside, right? And he's, uh, Darton is the the backup uh, D-tackle when Terry Lockett went out. Uh, Leon Lowry played a really good game. He's a He's a backup linebacker, right? I mean, you're still playing alongside of Marlo Wax and Michael Jones. Uh, so are you, you used to those two players? No, you're usually used to the backup unit. So, Ryan, yeah, you make a really good point there. I know we have four people listening. If you want to hop on and discuss your thoughts about this 59 nothing win over Wagner, and I understand it's Wagner. So, so what can you say? Right? I mean, is there anything to say other than, okay, Syracuse did its job and Wagner is really bad at the game of football? Wagner's now lost 24 straight dating back to 2019. Yes, but there are a lot of positives to take away from this game, as there are a lot of positives to take away from the start of the season. Cusaholic, you, you gave a great, really, really good point in a conversation starter earlier in this Twitter space. What else you got? Say is don't worry about Wagner. Two years ago, if we had beaten Wagner by a field goal and covered, we would have been jumping up and down and taking our clothes off, right? <laughs> Hey, yes, that's right. But but is there something you can say that, I mean, uh, Wagner is still a really bad football team? Can you, can you not add that to the storylines of this game? You can absolutely add it, and, and it should be added. We got a tough run of games coming up. I think this is the perfect way to go into a bye week, right? An, an easy win, a lot of confidence for everybody. Hopefully Sean is feeling fine. Uh, uh, I, th- I think you're going to start hearing some stuff around college football over these next few weeks, especially during the bye, where 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 this, these offensive, this new offensive coordinator and the quarterbacks coach probably going to be moving on to, to bigger things next year with the way they, they turn this around so fast. Cuse Twitterati should relax. It's probably going to happen. You know, it's it, 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 you're going to hear that. It's okay. We'll find somebody else. But uh, but let's just enjoy the next couple of weeks coming off a big win. I like that point that you make there. Thanks so much, Cusaholic, uh, uh, for uh, for chiming in and letting us know your thoughts. And yeah, as much as we can harp on the point that it's Wagner, uh, this team is is not good at all. A win's a win. I mean, for a Syracuse team that hasn't been bowl eligible since 2018, for a Syracuse team that's relied heavily on Dino Babers to take them to the promised land, and ever since 2019, that hasn't been the case. For a Syracuse team that I've deemed is successful if they just make a bowl game, right, and let alone win the bowl game uh, at the beginning of this season, a win's a win. And, and Cusaholic, you make a really good point. 
uh, this is the perfect way to enter a bye week. It, it is a glorified practice. A- and Syracuse hit the nail on the head in every single one of its drives. Eight pass catchers, eight different pass catchers. Amari Hatcher had his first Syracuse touchdown, first Syracuse catch. Devon Cooper, first Syracuse touchdown, and he's been integrated into this offense. Sean Tucker, finally that breakout game. He entered today with 314 total yards for the first four games of the season, and he had 232 on the ground in the first half and one rush in the second half. Garrett Schrader, he's complementing his running game with his ability to pass at an efficient rate. Dino Baber said in the post-game press conference, I'm impressed with Garrett Schrader and his ability to throw the ball. 17 of 17, that's ridiculous. But it also means none of our receivers dropped any passes. So Garrett Schrader is accurate. These pass catchers, are, and for a wide receiver room that a lot thought, hey, who, who are you going to gain production from? Yutaj Harris is gone, and he wasn't even that good, right? So who are you going to gain production from? This wide receiver room is deep, and they've shown that even against Purdue and Virginia, they can find ways to get open. Courtney Jackson, Trevor Pena, Aronde Gadsden II, and maybe Damian Alford could reinsert himself. We saw Demarcus Adams in that UConn game, Yamari Hatcher and Devon Cooper today. So the wide receiver room is deep. Sean Tucker, like I said, is back to his normal self, or at least it seems that way. And Cusaholic, just to touch on the point you made there, Sean Tucker said in the postgame press conference, everything's good, just got banged up a little bit, maybe just got the wind knocked out of him. So he seems to be good, and he'll have an extra week to get healthy and make sure that doesn't happen again. Syracuse is rolling, and it's safe to say that going into a really tough stretch of the season, being 5-0 and feels a lot better than being 3-2 and or 4-1 and and having to win a couple games to be bowl eligible. Last point I want to bring up, and for the three that are listening right now and anyone else that joins, this is my last question that I will pose. And it's, it's rhetorical and non-rhetorical because I'm going to answer it, but if you want to touch on it, feel free. I entered this season saying a successful season for Syracuse is to make a bowl game. And I think win a bowl game isn't isn't a, a far stretch, but to make a bowl game. You haven't done it in the last three years. You've been far from it. Uh, if you look back to two seasons ago when you finished one in 10, the first two seasons of Dino Babers didn't go great. The third season did. But I said entering this season, the expectation for this team and for this team to be quote unquote successful, they had to make a bowl game. Syracuse is one win away from being bowl eligible. So I'll pose this question to the audience, answer it myself, and then wrap things up here on Orange Fizz. And again, please check out theorangefizz.com for all of our articles regarding football. We also have basketball, basketball recruiting, football recruiting on there, anything that you could imagine. And we have an amazing set of Fizz staffers and that, that write great articles every single week and, and also hop on these Twitter spaces. They do Fizz 5. I can't wait to hear who's on this week. Um, but... I would say a successful season for Syracuse, you win one more ball game. And I'll lay out for a little bit and see if any or see if anyone has anything to say about that one. But I would deem a successful Syracuse season, even at five and zero. I did this at zero and zero. Even at five and zero, you make a bowl game. Doesn't matter if it's the Pinstripe Bowl, the Taxpayer Slayer, uh, uh, Applebee's All Together Bowl. And Cusaholic, I don't know what bowl game you can come up with. Maybe it's the Duke's Mayo Bowl, but what are your thoughts on that? Hey, guys, you there? Yeah, I can hear there you. There we go. I got to say a couple things about a bowl game. And I agree with you. 
one more win gets whatever we need, one, two more wins, we get bowl eligible. But going into a back half of the season, you don't want to see us go whatever it is, one and five, one and six, two and four, whatever that is. That's that's not the momentum you want. So so I hear you. I'm with you. We we gotta get those the last couple wins, but but hopefully we keep the momentum up. And I think that's the most important part as far as what game we go to. This Syracuse program are the kings of the Bronx. We should be going back to our native land, Yankee Stadium, and the Pinstripe Bowl. Thank you and good night. Hey, I love to hear that. I, I like that point. I was talking to someone earlier in the week, and, and they were also, it was actually one of our uh, fellow Fizz staffers, uh, Carter Bainbridge, saying the same thing. Pinstripe Bowl, that would be the dream, right? You go back to, uh, to Yankee Stadium and, and you play in that game where, where Syracuse supporters can easily make that trip down. Uh, I understand what you're saying, right? You finish one in six, all of a sudden you're six and six going to a bowl game. But how I see it is I don't want to set expectations too high for this team. And, and again, we're breaking down Syracuse's 59 nothing win over Wagner. So maybe the expectations should be set high, but I'm done setting expectations with this team. I really am. It's not worth it. I mean, disappointment follows when you set expectations. I firmly believe that, especially when you're trying to predict for a sport. So as much as I want to agree with you and say you can't go one in six to end the season, if this team goes one in six, of course, internally, I'll be disappointed. But you won't catch me crying when Syracuse is eligible for a bowl game. That should be the floor right now. I'm not saying Syracuse wins eight games. I'm like, okay. There we go. Exceeded expectations so much, but but I mean, part of me kind of is. Right? I don't want to. I don't want to hop on the bandwagon too much before this team j- drops down into a pitfall and disappoints me and disappoints the rest of this this uh, the Syracuse fan base. I think this team can win eight or nine games. I really do. I firmly believe that. But I also want to take into consideration that over the last two years, Syracuse has won six games. Over the last three years, they've won eleven. I mean, some teams win 12 games in one season alone. You make a bowl game, you're quote-unquote postseason eligible, and you have a chance to play for a trophy. I think that is the kumbaya of college football. And I will leave it at that. And I will leave it with a Dino Babers-ism, you could say. That is the ohana of what makes Syracuse a family, is you're playing for the ultimate goal of bringing home hardware to Syracuse. And with that, I will say good night to the audience. Unless, Tyler, I know you just hopped in. You have something to say about uh, Syracuse and them being quote-unquote successful means they are bull eligible, which means they only win one more game. Uh, just hopped out of the chat, so my guess is no. But I will leave you with that. What makes Syracuse a family is the camaraderie we haven't seen in a couple of years. But overall, the kumbaya of college football, the Dino Babers-ism, of college football is ultimately bringing home hardware. And if SU can do that, I don't mind a six and six season, even after a trouncing of Wagner. Thanks so much for tuning into this Twitter space. If you've been here from minute one or even hour uh, number one or even past that, really appreciate it. Again, Syracuse takes down Wagner 59 nothing and improves to 5 0 for the first time since 1987. This has been Cameron Ezer. You can catch me on some Fizz Fives down the road on the orangefizz.com or on our SoundCloud. And you can check out on our, our articles as well on the orangefizz.com. Our excellent uh, uh, 
Our excellent slew of Fizz staffers post great articles. I really, really appreciate it. Syracuse takes down Wagner, and we can't wait to bring you more Orange Fizz recaps and reviews when Syracuse takes on NC State on October 15th. But for now, everyone, enjoy the bye week. And like I said, a win is a win, even if it's 59-0 over an FCS opponent.